this point in the service, I believe we have a primary church for kids in kindergarten through second grade. If you uh, have a Bible with you, you can turn there to Luke chapter 12. And if you don't, you should be able to find the text in your order of worship or on your phone or somewhere. So uh, with all that said, I say, do you hear the word of God? In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and you would bring um, you bring conviction where people need conviction, but you would also bring grace and mercy where people need uh, relief maybe for their guilty consciences. I pray that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen and amen. So one thing, if we could, if the lights could go up just a hair, I, that'd be great. If not, that's fine. Um, you know, this week, I, I don't know if I've had more fun in a long time working on a sermon than I had this week. In fact, yesterday afternoon, I was sitting in my office and there was a violin, something or other, going on across the hall. And I was laughing so hard that I was afraid they were going to come over and ask me to stop doing whatever I was doing. What is it that could I have been doing that would actually be fun in my office? Well, I, was, I spent like an hour looking at, at dog shaming websites. You ever done that? Come on. If, you have a, if, you have, if you're connected to the Internet, you have done that, or you should be doing this. Anyway, what, what is dog shaming? Okay, it's, it's a phenomenon that came up about a few years ago. And basically some smart person, I mean now in retrospect they're smart, their dog did something naughty. And they decided to have some fun with it, and so they wrote a sign as if the dog had written the sign, hung it around his neck, took a picture, and posted it on a website. And it was so popular that everyone started doing that. So their dog started doing things, and they'd make a sign and put it up as if their dog had, had done this. So, for example, I have some of them for you. So this is a pretty straightforward one. I'll read them to you if you can't read them. This, I bit the hand that feeds me. Right? And they all look sad. They, all look like they just got busted doing something. And peop- I know the, the dog whisperer says they don't feel guilt. I don't believe that. Watch the way you see the rest of them. Um, so the next one, I steal food from little kids all the time. The next one, my mom's pretty teal bathrobe is not my toilet. Um... <laughs> We killed a mockingbird. How did, how the world did they do that? That made me laugh, right? They, 
They look sad. Next one. I'm the one that let the kitty out. Can't believe she's back. I went into my mom's purse while she was asleep, ate a tube of bright red lipstick, and chewed up three $1 bills. I think the next one's probably my favorite. Okay, this one. I chased a skunk. Dad chased me. He got sprayed in the face. He said it was like tear gas. What's that? Sorry, Dad. Love Milo. And just lest anyone accuse me of being a hypocrite and only picking on other people's dogs, I found a picture that I actually posted two Father's Days ago. And some of you know this dog well. My name is Ransom. My dog. Uh, I'm a bad dog. Tommy got got chocolate-covered coffee beans for Father's Day, and I ate them all while no one was looking. You see, he's a preacher's dog, so there's a Bible verse there, Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. He basically spent the afternoon after eating a pound of chocolate-covered coffee beans, running around and puking and running around and puking. And you know, the thing is, here's a question you have to ask yourself. I asked myself yesterday. If, if all these dogs had any idea, if they knew that, they were, that, that, their, that their naughtiness, that their deeds were going to be posted on the, on the web for the, all the world to see, would they still have done them? I think they would have because they're dogs, right? That's what dogs do. Now the question is, how about you? How, how would you like to have all of your deeds uh, sort of written out, hung around your neck and posted for all the world to see? Right, that's not as funny, is it? <laughs> right? On the other hand, guess where Jesus goes today? He goes there. He goes about us being completely exposed. And then he goes, he, he talks about hell. He's, so he goes pretty deep, pretty quickly this morning. And it's all in the context of hypocrisy. Remember, we started last week talking about, or two weeks ago, really talking about hypocrisy. Jesus has this sort of a, a, a argument or discussion with the Pharisees. And he, he basically calls them out on their hypocrisy. And now he's moved out of the the pharisee's house and it's good just for context you remember that the pharisees were stalking jesus it says that it says they stalked him trying to catch him in something and while the pharisees are stalking him the crowds are now pressing in as well the language here says that it's the language that speaks of tens of thousands of people and that doesn't necessarily mean there were literally tens of thousands that's the only language they had but the crowds were so huge they were pressing in and then you have jesus disciples so it's a mixed crowd and jesus is going to continue on with this theme of hypocrisy but he's really going to take it to a different level altogether so on one hand he called out the pharisees and now as he talks about hypocrisy he's going to talk, speak directly to his disciples but everyone else can hear and i'll point that out in a minute we're really three things this morning basically the folly of hypocrisy how foolish it is um and on the other hand we're going to see a comforting warning i mean it's really interesting in this passage on one hand in the uh, almost in the same breath jesus says fear the one who could cast you into hell he really cares about you right what do we do with that and then the last uh, point is simply an implied question it's just a question it's a question that everyone needs to answer, but it's a question nonetheless. So looking at the folly of hypocrisy in verses 1 through 3. So notice verse 1 says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So it says in the meantime, so one thing to point out here is that Jesus, it says that Jesus spoke first to his disciples. You know, in theological circles are all these debates, who is church for? Right? Should, should teaching in church be only for Christians, or should it be Christians and people who are seeking it? Should it be for people who are only seeking? And what you see, the pattern you see in the Bible is that, that church is for Christians, or Jesus' teaching is for his disciples, but there's always the expectation that people are listening in. And so what you're going to see is Jesus, it says he speaks to his disciples, but there's stuff in this passage that is clearly addressed to people like the Pharisees who are also there, and clearly addressed to the crowds who are so big that they're sort of trampling one another. And the question, why is he talking about hypocrisy now to the disciples? I think there's a couple of reasons he probably is. One is because it's on their mind. They had just ended up, they were just with the, the Pharisees. And it's really easy, because I know from personal experience, when you deal with a Pharisee to walk, or walk out of the room thinking you're better than them. Right? Have you ever, have you ever dealt with someone and said, oh, that stinking legalist, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a, they don't have a clue about grace. They don't know anything. Right? Well, in, the, in that moment, you have become them. And so Jesus, they're, they're very, things are very popular now. I mean, at this point, imagine you're a disciple and you're thinking, okay, Jesus just spanked the Pharisees and thousands of people are just clamoring for him. We, hooked, we hitched our wagon to the right truck here, baby. And so Jesus, I think what he's doing, he turns to them, basically he says, you guys aren't immune. You're not immune from hypocrisy. You're not immune from self-righteousness. And so he speaks to them. And so the first thing he says is, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, why does he use that particular metaphor? On one hand, leaven is often used as a metaphor for sin. It's used for, as a metaphor for pollution, right? In, in the Passover feast, leaven is to be left out of the bread. The thing about leaven, that probably that he's getting at here, is that leaven uh, permeates everything, right? If you, if you have a loaf of bread that has leaven or yeast in it, it just permeates everything. There's not one part of it that is not affected. And so Jesus says, beware of that. You know, I brew a kombucha. You know what kombucha is? Kombucha is like a probiotic tea. And my family loves to, in spite of what Proverbs says about what ravens do to the eyes of mockers, uh, my, my children love to mock me about what, every time I brew kombucha, Basically, how you brew it is you boil, uh, the way I do it, you boil two uh, gallons of distilled water, put two cups of sugar, put some tea in there, and then you have this thing. It's called a SCOBY, symbiotic colony of, of bacteria and yeast, and you drop it in there, and you put a cover on it, and a week later, you come back, and you've got this sort of nice fizzy tea, but it has stuff floating in it. And so I have a system set up, you know, all the tubes and everything where I strain it, and so when it goes into my bottles, it is crystal clear. And I always, I, whoever's not, I say, so you guys got to see this. This kombucha is crystal clear. You have to see this. So every time I do it, the girls will yell to each other, oh, you guys have to come in here. Dad's bottling kombucha again. We've never seen it. Why am I so fascinated with that? Well, I'm so fascinated with it because two or three days later, when you look at the bottle, it has stuff in it again. In other words, there's stuff in there that's growing and it has permeated every bit of that liquid and it's there whether you see it or not. Jesus is saying that is how hypocrisy is. It infects everything. It's just, no matter where, where, where you're at, what you're doing, if you are, are hip, a hypocrite, it can't help but affect everything that you are doing. And then he points out the folly of hypocrisy to them. 
What's the folly of hypocrisy? Well, the folly of hypocrisy is this. Notice he says, nothing covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. The, the folly of hypocrisy is this. If you remember what hypocrisy is, hypocrisy is all about wearing a mask. Right? In the Greek theater, to be, a, to be a, a big hypocrite was a good thing. Because a hypocrite was a good actor. And so to, to be able to wear that mask and act it, that, that was great. But Jesus, in this case, it's not. And so what Jesus is saying is you can wear a mask now if you want, but it's foolish because ultimately what's underneath that mask is going to be revealed. In other words, what Jesus sort of dives into here with the, the disciples is what's the long-term view of life? What's the long-term view of your relationship with him? What's the long-term view of your relationship with God? And he's basically saying the folly of hypocrisy is this, is because no matter what you cover up now, eventually it will be uncovered. No matter what deeds you do now, eventually they will be revealed. And he even takes it to a different level when he says, whatever you say in private, whatever you say in, in, your, in your room, he says that will be, will be published from the rooftops. That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, think of things that you said just last week about anybody. Would you want it to be published, you know, shouted from the rooftops? Think about things you've done. Would you want it to be published for the whole world to see? That's what Jesus says the folly of hypocrisy is. It's because one day what is underneath your mask will be revealed to the world. Is that what you want? question is, if, you, if, if, if you're smart, you're going to answer, it depends. You see, it depends what's underneath the mask. Remember I told you last week and the week before that if a person has trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, as great exchange has happened. All of your sins has been given to him and all of his righteousness is given to you and literally put upon you. And so to put a mask on that, you're actually, you're, you're putting a mask over something quite glorious. And so the question is, at the end of the day when things are revealed and at the end of the day when things are, are shouted from the housetops, what is it going to be about you? Yeah, I remember when I was in college, there was a, a street preacher that used to come to, to Florida State, and he'd stand in the union, and he was just, honestly, I feel like he was a little bit crazy, and he would say things like, someday the, the God is going to call the whole world together, and they're going to show the movie of your life, and what you're doing now, is that what you want the world to see? And I remember thinking about that, thinking about that, and, and one day, I remember thinking, yeah, that'd be cool. For, Jesus, for God to call the whole world together to watch the movie of the life and times of Tommy Allen. That would be, and will be, the most glorious day of my life. Why is that? Because if the gospel is true, on that day, Jesus, God calls everyone to come together to watch the movie of Tommy Allen's life. As, as the credits start to roll, it will say the life and times of Tommy Allen starring Jesus. And that day it will be revealed to all the world that Jesus' righteousness covers me. That, that all the good things Jesus did are on my account. All, of the, all the good that he is, all the good things that he said are credited to my account. Now, if you want to see a horror story, I mean, it'd be, if it, in my case it would be, like, be one of those like, scary movies. It would be a horror story, but probably pretty funny too. It would be the life and times of Jesus. Because you know what, that, that's the life and times of Jesus starring Tommy Allen. And that would be bad. 
You see, because his record has become mine and my record has become his. And so if his record is mine, please, by all means, shout it from the rooftops. But if his record is not yours, you might want to think about that. He offers it to you because someday that shouting will happen. Someday that revealing will happen. And the question is, will you be revealed to be uh, in him or will you be revealed to be out of him? Jesus takes it a step further, as a matter of fact. You see, the, the, the context, notice he says in verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So the, the, some, there's a couple assumptions here I think that Jesus has. One is the assumption is that what tempts us to hypocrisy is to worry about what other people think. Or what tempts us to hypocrisy is to, to fear some kind of harm or, or something bad happening to us. And so, I mean, if you think about why you lie, why does anyone lie? I, I mean, people do it all the time. Trust me, I know. We lie because we're afraid of the consequences if we tell the truth. We're, we're, we have fear. And so these, also what's assumed here is probably some kind of persecution or some kind of challenge to them. And he says, I tell you what, when that time comes, when you're challenged about whether or not you're in me or out, whether or not you acknowledge me or not, he says, don't fear the people who can kill the body. Again, he's taking a long-term view. He says, rather fear the one who after you are killed has the authority to cast you into hell. He says, yes, fear him. Now I think, remember Jesus has, is talking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to the crowds. And so what is he getting at here? I think the answer is pretty simple. It's that there, there are more important things than just what happens in the here and now. There are more important things that, that, just, that, that we ought to be afraid of than just the here and now. On one hand, on the other hand, what we do in the here and now affects what happens in, in the eternity. And the language he uses here, you know, my middle, my oldest daughter's middle name, her name is Abigail Fear. And we name her middle name is Fear because that's a good thing, generally speaking, in the Bible. Right? It means to, to awe God, to, to reverence God. In this particular case, you know what fear means? It, it means fear, I think. In other words, he says, don't fear or be afraid of people who can kill your body. In other words, it's that sort of anxious, like, oh my gosh, something's going to happen to me. He's like, if, you want, if you're going to be afraid of something, if you're going to be anxious about something, if there's something that's going to make you lay awake at night and, and, and make your palms sweaty and make you just not know what to do with yourself, don't be afraid of that, but instead be afraid of this. Be afraid of the one who, after he is killed, can cast you into hell. And the, the word hell here in Greek is Gehenna, which some people say, oh, that wasn't really hell. That's just the garbage dump where they burn trash and old criminals and where Israel sacrifices children to false gods. You know, and if you were a Jew, when you heard Gehenna, you heard a place where you go after you die where punishment never ends, period. It was a technical term. Like, have you ever been, like, at, you know, in a, in a, I don't know, a crowded stadium or something? You say, man, this place is hell. They would say, this place is Gehenna. But either way, the connotation was the same. It's punishment that never, ever ends. And he says, that's the person you should be afraid of. Jesus talks about hell an awful lot. And I remember on the other hand, my, one of my preaching professors, Steve Brown, used to always say that hell is the, one of the greatest testimonies to free will that God has ever given us. You see, because at the end of the day, you say, why would God send anyone to hell? Well, God doesn't send anyone to hell. 
We come before God on that day, and he says, you know what, Tommy, Joe, whatever your name is, I'm going to give you what you wanted your whole life. You wanted to be separate from me. You got it. You, you wanted to scorn forgiveness? I'm Okay, you got it. None of it. Jesus says, if you want to be afraid of anything, be afraid of that. Because the ones who kill you, no, I don't think that's, that's the biggest problem you got right now. Now, see, why would he switch? Then he immediately switches gears. I think he doesn't actually think that the disciples uh, don't fear God. So he, he says, if you want to fear someone, here's who you need to fear. On the other hand, he reminds them, you don't need to fear, really. Because let me tell you what God is like if you've trusted him. And he says in verse um, 6, he says, We're not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. Speaking of, of many sparrows, I thought, oh, I was going to pick up a sparrow to put online. And I can't believe how many kinds of sparrows there are. I think there's an Italian sparrow. My favorite was the Jack Sparrow. Um, <laughs> but either way, Jesus probably isn't talking about literal sparrows here. That's our English translation of really little bird. And it's the kind of bird that poor people would buy in the marketplace that they would eat them. And rich people sometimes would keep them as pets, you know, like little tiny hens. And Jesus says, even those things that, that basically people buy and eat are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So he says these things that everyone would say are worthless, not one of them is forgotten by God. And he says, you, God is so concerned with you. He, he is so attentive to you that he knows the number of hairs on your head. You are worth more than many sparrows. Think about that. He's saying not only should you not, you don't have to fear this God, but this God is completely and utterly attentive to who you are. That not one thing can come your way. Remember he's talking in the context of hardship probably and persecution. There's not one thing that comes your way that he doesn't know about and that he is not orchestrating and pulling together for your good and his glory. Do you believe that? I mean, if we all believe that all the time, there would literally be no anxiety in the world. Jesus reminds us of that here. You see, most of us, we tend to think God is present in miracle, but not present in providence. What do I mean by that? You know, it's tax time, and every year when I do my taxes, I use TurboTax, and, you know, I got a big stack of stuff here, and I'm entering things. As I'm entering things, you know, it keeps track up at the top. And the whole time I'm entering, it's red. And I'm just, you know, and I'm sweating, okay, you know, find some more charities around here, you know, something. And at the end, you hit enter, and it calculates, and it turns out green. Whoo, the Lord blessed me. Right? In, in other words, say you're, 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 you're a long-lost Aunt Irma, who you never even met. You never knew you had an Aunt Irma. Suddenly, you get a $500 check in the mail at the exact time you needed your brakes fixed on your car. And you say, look at how God has blessed me. Right? We, we say that kind of thing all the time. What we don't tend to say is... That every minute, every second of every single day, God is blessing me. That every minute of every day, God is present, not only in these weird events that happen that seem that feel good for us. Like, you know, I'll be honest with you. Let's go ahead and get the Super Bowl out on the table, right? I, I, I'm really proud of Russell Wilson, right? Because all these guys, they win the game and they say, the Lord blessed us. Well, I always think, well, what do you say when you lose the game? Cursed you? 
In other words, God is present, just as present in miracle or providence as he is in miracle. That means every single thing that happens to you every single day, he's present. Even when you and I make mistakes, he's able to work them to his own glory. Jesus reminds them of God's care for them. So he told them the folly of hypocrisy. He gives them a, a warning, but it's, it's a really a, a warning of comfort if you have ears to hear. And then finally, he takes them to, to what I'm going to call an implied question. What's the implied question? In verse 8, he says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of God will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, and the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here Jesus, like, he, if you, he, he bottom lines, in my opinion, the whole gospel. And I don't mean just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean his whole message, his whole life's work, everything about him, everything that came out of his mouth, everything he did leads to one big fat question. And the question is this, what are you going to do with me? That's it. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you say, what is Christianity about? It's about that question. It's about the question when Jesus says, what are you going to do with me? And he literally leaves no wiggle room and no neutral ground. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, it's okay. You know, you can like me if you want. That's cool. You just think I'm a good teacher, but you know, he literally says, if you acknowledge, whoever acknowledges me before men, the son of man will acknowledge before the, the angels of God. Whoever denies me before men, the Son of Man will deny before the angels of God. That's it. Those are your two choices. And it could be a very uncomfortable choice. And because this is in the context, remember, of people being brought before authorities and rulers and being asked, do you follow the Nazarene? Remember the Apostle Paul did that. If you say yes, if you say no, they'll do you. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me, I will acknowledge who denies me. I will deny. The question is, what are you going to do with me? If you're not a Christian, the question Jesus asks you is, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to acknowledge me and everything that goes with that? Or are you going to deny me and everything that goes with that? What are you going to do with me? And if you are a Christian, guess what? Jesus asks you the same question. He just asks it to you multiple times every day. Trouble with your relationships at home? What are you going to do with me? Trouble at work? What are you going to do with me? Struggle with any? What are you going to do with me? Good times? What are you going to do with me? Jesus is constantly saying, what are you going to do with me? Acknowledge me or deny me? Love me or hate me, but for God's sake, don't just like me. What are you going to do, Jesus says. So that's the uncomfortable choice. On one hand, you can imagine the disciples going, man, he's really like bottom line in this here it's like like when if, if we go before the authorities and the rulers and that we're going to actually have to, if we deny him remember like the hell thing he said a couple of minutes ago what are we going to do here i think jesus is sensitive to that and that's where he comes in with the, what he says next and he says um he said everyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven and the one who blasphemes against the holy spirit will not be forgiven he says verse 11 when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so if they're worried or anxious, like what are we supposed to say if we're actually confronted with this question? Don't worry about it. Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. 
Now, the bigger question in that text is probably revolves around this. When he says, um, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, and who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's one of the most, uh, most debated texts in the whole Bible. That there's only one unforgivable, there, there's a sin that is unforgivable, right? Unless you're Pete Rose, and that makes there two sins that are unforgivable. Um, forgive me, that's my pet issue, but... Uh, Jesus says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, you'll be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, why is it that you could, you could sort of trash talk Jesus and be okay, but blaspheme the Holy Spirit and not be okay? And I think the answer lies if you understand the difference between Peter and Judas. Remember Peter? You know, Peter's like the patron saint of ADHD. He's a patron saint of everyone who does stupid things. Peter, basically, remember Jesus was saying the Son of Man must suffer and die and raise again on the third day. And Peter said what? Over my dead body. Jesus said, everyone's going to leave me. Peter said, oh, no, 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 not me. I'll never leave you. And Jesus, I, I, you know, I, I sometimes think Jesus talks like I do. Because he'd be like, Peter, come on. Before the crop crows three times, you're going to be out of there. Let me read you what happens to Peter real quickly. In Luke chapter 24, 22 rather. When they're seized, they says they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bring him into a high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter turns out okay, though, right? Peter ends up being the, the, the apostles of apostles until Paul comes. What's the difference between Peter, let's say, and Judas? Because remember, Judas betrayed Jesus also. Judas, in fact, Judas, when Jesus saw, Judas saw how everything was, was starting to pan out, he actually went back to the temple and told the priest, here, take your money back. I did, I did the wrong thing. And they said, up, 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 up. Once the transaction's done, it's off of our hands. You do whatever you want with that money. And so what did Jesus, uh, Judas do? He went and bought a field and hung himself. Judas was not redeemed. Peter, on the other hand, spoke a word against the Son of Man. He was forgiven. You see, Jesus is either talking about people who do things while he was here in his earthly ministry who didn't understand, or he's talking about those of us who are, who are tender enough of heart, who realize that we have ditched him, realize that we have sinned, and are constantly willing to go back. You see, the difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas, once he had sinned, saw no hope and comfort in life or in death. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, was able to understand that the very betrayal that he had done was the way in which he would be delivered from his sins. And it's the Holy Spirit that opened his eyes to that. The difference between speaking a word against the Son of Man and blaspheming the Holy Spirit is speaking a word against the Son of Man in this case is sort of what Peter did. Denying him, but realizing and coming back repentant. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is constantly and consistently shutting him out. It's constantly saying, I know you're working, I know you're pushing me to, to trust Jesus, but I don't believe it. Or I love my sin better, or I love my lifestyle better, I'm not going to do it. Until you do that to the very end of your life. 
And people say, well, why wouldn't God forgive you then? Well, it's because basically you get to the end of your life and, and you say, you've been saying to God, I don't want forgiveness from you. I don't need forgiveness from you. And God basically says, okay, if you don't want it and you don't need it, then you're not going to get it. That's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. And so how do you, how do you tie all this up? What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus? What does it mean to be, to be freed from your sin? What does it mean not to be a hypocrite? You know, what, one of my favorite parts of, of any movie, have you ever seen Eight Mile? You'd remember if you'd seen it. Eight Mile is basically the story of a, of, a, of, white, of a white rapper named Eminem. He grows up in a black neighborhood and he spends his whole life doing these, these riff-offs, these, these rapping competitions with all basically black guys. And the way it works is that you basically, you, you, one of the guys starts and the other guy comes in behind and they basically criticize each other and then the crowd votes. In, in other words, whoever was best at cracking on the other guy, who was ever the best at humiliating the other guy, wins. And it is just brilliant because it's all off the top of their head. It's amazing. And he makes it in this rap contest it's where it's basically him versus what the, the greatest rapper of all time. And they flip a coin to see who goes first. He loses the toss, which means he has to go first. Because that means not only does he have to, to, to rap first, but then the other guy can use everything that he's said against him. And so he does the most brilliant thing. And the crowds are going wild. And when he begins his rap, I can't even read you most of the lines because they're a little dicey, so I can't recommend the movie. Let me read you a couple of them. So he says, he, he says I am white. <laughs> I'm not going to wrap him, by the way. He said, I am a stink of them. I do live in a trailer with my mom. My boy Future is an Uncle Tom. I do got dumb friend named Cheddar Bob who shoots himself in the leg with his own gun. I did get jumped by all six of you chumps. And Wink did take my girl. And he goes on and on and on. And the very last line, he says, here, tell these people something they don't know about me. In other words, he's, he points to the crowd. He says, tell them something they don't know. And he hands the mic to Papa Doc. And the next sound that you hear is crickets. Papa Duck doesn't know what to do. In other words, by just telling every, by, by, by revealing everything on his own, there was nothing to criticize. Guess who won? The guy who won was the guy who was willing to admit who he was. Because admitting who he was was the thing that gave him freedom. In the gospel, that's where it starts. You've got to admit who you are. But you have to take it one step further. Let me close just by reading to you Romans 10. Romans 10, Paul says that he's talking about um, the, the Old Testament. He said, but what does it say? He says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I love this next line. Paul quotes, he, verse 11, he says, for scripture says, for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Remember how this whole thing started. Jesus said the folly of hypocrisy is that eventually it's going to be revealed. And what the gospel says is that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that um, your spirit would come. Your spirit would come and work on the cynical. Your spirit would come and work on the guilty. Your spirit would come and work on everyone here, wherever they are, that they might uh, answer the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with him right now? Whether it has to do with the Lord's table or whether it has to do with their trusting him for salvation, I pray that your spirit would come and move among us. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.